No vacation? No, no. We're, we're, next year we're going to take a bigger trip, saving up for that, going to go to Europe. Oh, know? that's nice. So, uh, yeah, do a little culture. These kids are becoming morons. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll be morons in Cancun. Welcome to another episode of Origami Brain. Today we have a special guest. Um, yeah. I think, Chris, did you, you want to introduce him? Elton, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, or? so um, here we have a special guest. Um, my friend and former roommate Elton is here today to talk with us. You want to introduce yourself? What's up, everyone? I'm Elton. Um, thanks, Chris and Kaleshi, for having me on. I've been a a fan of the podcast for the past like three episodes so. and that's real that's day one. <laughs> day one day one and yeah um this is a really interesting movie that we watched so i'm excited to talk about it yeah so should we like kind of give a summary synopsis of the movie yeah i think that makes sense yeah okay so um we watched this movie called three colors red by polish director Krzysztof kozlowski it um is the third final movie in this series called the three colors series which is basically about the three different like revolutionary ideals of france um each color in the french flag represents a different revolutionary ideal um, and so like the tricolor flag. Um, so like blue is liberty, white is equality, and red is fraternity. So this last movie was about fraternity. The plot itself was, um, or is rather, about uh, this woman who develops a, you could say like friendship, platonic relationship, with this um, older man, um, it starts out, she's just like, oh, so she's this like student in Geneva, Switzerland, and she's just driving and she runs over um, this dog and she takes, she finds like the owner of the dog and it's this man. And um, then they just like, like that brings them together, I guess. Um, there are like a bunch of like little details. So I don't know like how specifically I should like go into the plot. Like, what do you guys think? No, I, I think that's a good enough summary. Honestly, <laughs> that was information I did, not, <laughs> I did not know when I first, like I would just watch it like, I would just finished it like literally five minutes before this stuff started. But like, um, I think if there's anything else we really need to say, we can add on as we're talking or having the discussion. For uh, sure. Um, yeah, oh, I didn't, I knew it was a series, but I didn't know that it was based on the French flag. That's actually interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, like, when, what's it called? Um, 
after the revolution, France like made a new flag, the flag you see like the fleur-de-lis, which mm -hmm. is like that symbol that you see like a lot associated, like it's the New, York, new Orleans Saints logo. Mm -hmm. um, and that represented like the, um, what's it called? Like the royalty and like that sort of stuff. So in the revolution, they changed the flag um, to represent like these ideals of the revolution. Um, which are still like the principles of like France or like the ideals of France to this day. Um, and yeah, this movie. So red, 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 red represents fraternity. Yeah. What's white and blue? Blue, what's blue? Blue is liberty, white is equality. Equality. Yeah. And this was also, I like read his, um, Kislovsky's Wikipedia page. This was his last movie as well wow. like he made this right before he died last ever oh i've actually never heard of him before can you give me a little background about like who he is yeah so he's this polish dude he was born in warsaw um during world war ii i want to say he was born like in nazi occupied warsaw um and yeah he there was some stuff I read. I read this like right before I went to bed and I was like, oh, this is so interesting. Um, but I've forgotten quite a bit, but there were like some interesting details. Do you have anything to add, Elton? Yeah, I feel like, um, well, like one of the first things I found interesting was just like his interpretation of like fraternité, because like you would think, I guess in the French sense, it, it's like talking about brotherhood, but like in his interpretation, it's more like, it's a lot broader than that. It's like the interconnectedness of like all people and all things, I think was more like the theme he was trying to get at. Yeah. And it's also really interesting the way that he like uses like, I guess technology almost like as a way to get at that, um, especially like telephones. Yeah. And like the first scene, for example, I think is like shows that perfectly, like just literally taking you through like a telephone wire from like one country to another country and like um it's it, it just makes me wonder like what he would have done with it if he was making films today because like we're even more interconnected now but even like before smartphones and social media he was thinking about that um and what was the other thing i was gonna say i don't know it'll come back to me but it's also kind of funny like also yeah the way that he uses like color literally in the film like just mm -hmm. the color red as like a theme of the film yeah. and like mm -hmm. everything like just being red and like it's the same in the other films like with like the first one being like mostly blue themed and the other being mostly white themed and it's also like I don't know if you noticed this but like we almost kind of have that going on in our screens right now like I didn't even mean to wear red but like <laughs> my teacup is red and then the Kaleshis of Walter Blue so I just noticed that <laughs> <laughs> completely on accident though yeah that's pretty cool i um um go ahead no you can go chris uh, i was just gonna say i thought the use of color was really interesting like going in i was like oh is he gonna use like a lot of red is it gonna be like really overt um but it was like very kind of subtly done like even down to like the lipstick like the protagonist is wearing and like just mm -hmm. little like details um, and it didn't feel like it was overdone. Like there's this um, basically like um, the protagonist 
the female lead, she does like this ad for like chewing gum and um, the uh, like, it's just like her set against like this red background. Um, mm. And like at the beginning or earlier in the movie, they like put up the ad and then towards the end of the movie, the ad comes down. Um, and I thought that was like, even that was probably like the most like overt use of like the color of red and it still didn't feel like it was like overdone. Yeah, that, that movie, that part specifically really stood out to me. It was such a powerful moment. And I feel like one thing the movie really does well is take simple actions or simple scenes and kind of just give them lots of meaning where like, yeah, just give them lots of meaning by like focusing on them. Like I'm thinking about that particular scene or the scene where she like right after that kind of where she helps the old woman like put her glass like the glass into there yeah um or even when they were having that deep conversation her and the old man that she's become friends with and the guy comes in and he's like have you seen that woman with the buckets and they're like no and she's like i'm always looking for her always looking for her and i'm like wow that has so many resonances with just the movie in general yeah I, that attention to detail is really cool yeah i was like kind of like thinking back on it um it was just interesting to see or like to think about like how rich like every like single part of the movie was how like every little detail had meaning every piece of dialogue like all that happens like um there was so much more you could like read into beyond like what you saw or heard um uh have you seen the other two movies Alton no I haven't I mean I kind of like watched the trailers um just out of curiosity mm-hmm. but um, I think from also what I saw, like people in general liked Red the most out of the out of the three. Yeah. Um, but I think like they all would probably seem interesting. Yeah. What did y'all think of um, the judge character in general? I'm curious. He was. So I like basically until the end, I thought that. Um, Actually, I still don't know, but like there was definitely something interesting going on with him and then the younger person whose life mirrored his. Um, And I thought that was really interesting. And I don't, yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts on that because I don't really know like what to conclude from, from like what happens. Yeah. I should like explain. I think, Okay, I this just occurred to me, but I think I know what he was trying to get at. Okay, so like, cause the um, cause I was about to ask y'all that actually too, cause I was thinking about that, and I was thinking like, like one example was um him dropping the book um that he was studying from in the yep. street, and then like the question on his exam was like that page that it fell open to, or just like such just like weirdly specific things that they both mentioned happening to them and and so the younger guy is august right who like we don't really see him with the protagonist at that many points but like at the end like it implies that like they're like i guess soulmates i guess you could say or they're like the ones who are meant to be with each other right yeah and then I was thinking about like those other scenes where um, like this is the part that just occurred to me where the judge was talking about his like past love experience and like um, how he was like betrayed and then like never loved anyone again or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then he was um, talking to um, the protagonist and was saying um, 
like maybe if like in a different life or something like you could have been like the person right so maybe that's touching on that interconnectedness theme or like trying to like yeah draw a parallel between them too yeah that like this um like connection like this i don't know what the like correct word if it would be like some sort of like connection that kind of goes beyond i don't know like i don't want to say like a soul connection but like between like him and between the judge and august um because like they have similar ultimately end up having like similar relationships with um the female lead i forget her name yeah we should what is her name, <laughs> what is her name? Uh, oh wait they said at the end the no. actress is ira and jacob Valentine, isn't it yes that is her name um, yeah wait but the weird thing though is not only that their lives mirror each other it's that the judge kind of has like a kind of like like a foresight about about that guy's life which i think is the weird like there was half through halfway through the movie i'm like is this guy like a prophet or something because he's predicting all these things that are just like crazy which Mm -hmm. is why like while i was watching it i kind of got the feeling that like it's even more than just an interconnectedness it's kind of like he's going back and changing the course of his own life in some like weird way um even though they have different names but like his like he also talked about how after he know the girl some girl betrayed him when he was younger he also went through like the english channel and he walked throughout like he walked throughout england and but he didn't meet anyone like like elton was saying like he didn't meet anyone and so nothing changed for him and so there was just i just seemed to me like the judges meddling seemed more like um purposeful like and kind of creepy at some point yeah and it's also interesting because like so Valentine only met the judge because she ran over his dog and then like tracked him down and then and so like I guess well maybe she would have met August anyway because they met on the boat but regardless it kind of brings up like this other theme that the judge was kind of obsessed with which was like he he seemed very like deterministic in his like worldview and like and especially in his morality almost like he talks about that one case um where like he sentences oh no where he spares the sailor um and he says like there's no difference really between like him or me like if i was in his shoes i would have done the same thing but the only difference was that like i was in my shoes and i was the judge judging him um and i feel like he almost uses that to justify like his intrusions on other people's uh privacy and conversation and it's also interesting like just that like kind of moral like relativism i guess because like and also he kind of justifies it in another way too like he justifies it by saying like people are better off without knowing the truth about each other that's the other thing he's very pessimistic about human nature right yeah like he kind of thinks people are just shit and like (laughs) for like um when i don't know yeah just in the various examples of people like eavesdropping he's like go tell them what i'm doing but you won't because you know that they're better off without knowing i was gonna say valentine kind of reaffirms that like when she goes to like she hears that um like this dude with like a wife and kids is like cheating on like the family with 
like another man and then she goes to the house and she sees that like the wife is there and she sees that the daughter is like listening in on the conversation and she like just can't like bring herself to reveal anything to the family um and yeah so she like kind of um just not justifies but yeah just I guess reaffirms like what he's um his worldview and like confirms for him at least his beliefs mm -hmm. would you say that y'all like have any like share any of his views and not like in terms of justifying what he was doing but in terms of like just pessimism about but i mean pessimism sorry about like human nature or like determinism because sometimes i like think about like determinism i'm like yeah that's like kind of facts like and just in the sense that like free will kind of seems like an illusion and i like i do kind of think that like we're mostly products of our environment right so like in a lot of ways i feel like it's just like the luck of the draw like who what you're born into and like where you end up because you're just going to be shaped by like your environment in some way whether it's like your genes or like being socialized a certain way but like i know not everyone shares that and i'm not like particularly like um like close to other views either but like that's kind of just like something i think about like what do y'all think uh i think about determinism a lot and i i also agree i think when i when i start to think about it like as logically or as strictly as i can i feel like it just makes a lot of sense that well like everything i do is going to be a product of what's happened to me before and it doesn't really make sense. like i just don't see a way outside of that um i feel like if free will is an illusion at the very least it's like i like what makes me feel better is just the fact that like whether or not i have free will like i can't really tell the difference do you know what i mean so it's one of those questions to me that like i feel like it's interesting to think about and but i don't see what um realizing that you don't have free will gets you right or like pretending that you don't have like that you do have it like like the this different options seem similar to me but I think it, it's really interesting to con like contemplate not when you're just thinking about yourself, but like when you start thinking about the world as an aggregate, which is why I think the movie gets really interesting. It's because like now she she has no choice but to do certain things in response to what he's doing. He has no choice to do certain things so for like what happened to him in the past. And all this kind of sets things in motion in a way that can kind of like sweep you up, right? And that's kind of how she's feeling by the end. She's like, I feel like all these things are happening around me and I don't really know how to handle them. And that's something I think, whether or not you believe in free will or you don't, that everyone can kind of like, sometimes you just get the feeling that things are like working towards something and you either have like a lack of control or you just like don't know where it's all heading. And that's something I really liked about the movie. Yeah. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I don't, yeah. I guess like I personally like don't, really think about it that much because I don't really think it makes as much of a difference because like the outcomes are the outcomes but I think like with a movie like or like with just like a story like this it is interesting to kind of think about how um and like even um one of you brought up how like the outcome for um August 
is ultimately over like we assume that it's ultimately different than that of the judge mm -hmm. um even if like we're kind of led up basically until the end to believe that their lives parallel one another so like yeah. there are i guess um and that's not even free will though because like it um I guess like the outcome for the for August is um because of like this accident. So yeah. I don't even know where I stand. I think it's it's interesting because the outcome we're supposed to we're also supposed to think that this woman is better for him than the other girl that he was with, even though he loved her so much. Yeah. Um and obviously Val, the main character is a good girl. Like we like her because we've been with her the whole time. But like I think it starts to get a little bit depressing because in this situation, like, okay, he had no control over his situation really or what's going to happen, but it all worked for the better. But like, what if it was not that way? What if like you were fated to have some terrible stuff happen to you, like a Greek tragedy or something? Would we still feel the same way about, I mean, what he's saying about interconnectedness and fraternity? Yeah, and I feel like just his whole... Um... It's just funny the way, like the whole question about determinism and the way that like him being a judge, like, because I feel like the question, determ like you were saying, Chris, about how like with determinism, like even if it's true, it doesn't really matter because like we can't, we just can't like act on everything in a deterministic way. Because if we did, like there can't, how can there be any kind of like morals or justice? Like, and I feel like determinism like is one way at least like the way i think about it of like being sympathetic towards people and like understanding people's circumstances and being like it or at least like empathetic and being like i can see why like this person did this thing or like made this mistake or whatever it might be but obviously that's all relative but like if you like only look at it that way then like you could just excuse every crime by or every miss every unjust injustice or anything that we consider negative by saying like um well everyone's a product of their environment so at the end of the day we can't be determinist even if it even if like it's correct right well i i agree with your like i agree with that if you that if you believe in the deterministic worldview you can't really there's no space for morals right because you need to have a choice to have morals or to say that someone made a moral choice but I, I don't know, I'm not totally sure I agree that because that's the implication of determinism, that determinism can't be true or we can't think with a deterministic framework. Like I, yeah, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I hear that. I mean, like, that's why I'm like stuck in the middle. Cause like on the one hand, like it appeals to me as an explanation, but like in terms of like applying it to like real life or like the way I'm gonna act, it's just hard to reconcile it basically. Cause I agree with you too. Like, I don't know how to like reconcile it, mm -hmm. but yeah, I was also wondering what y'all thought about um, like just human nature in general. And if like you agree that like human nature is like generally negative in the way that like the judge implies. Um, before I answer that, I want to ask you a quick, like, I want to ask you if you think the judge's view changed from the beginning to the end. Because um, I definitely think he had some kind of, I feel like his character growth changed 
because he had he changed august's like future was able to change like that's kind of the way i'm feeling about it in my mind mm -hmm. but when i think about the movie i can't really pick out particular times when he did stuff to kind of redeem himself from versus what he did in the beginning so i'm just wondering what you think about that um and then sorry can you repeat your question yeah we can go my favorite i'm just gonna think about your question but i'm trying to remember like i'm just trying to think back to like what happened in the movie because um and think if there's like points that were like were transformative in his character yeah i'm trying to think like what would have changed him or like what like i guess do you but you definitely think that there is a difference in his outlook at the end versus at the beginning yeah i think so there was like a kind of sense of hope that i perceived from him that i don't think was there in the beginning and if i uh if i think about it now i think it's the girl that kind of changed him right so the girl comes in with this like kind of morally righteous attitude she's like what you're doing is wrong you can't be listening to your neighbors right and he kind of gives her some skepticism about that but she also continues to like show him through her own actions that people aren't bad which is i think that's why what elton's question like kind of sparked my thought because she like gives him the money back when he gives her way too much money she brings the puppy back even though she doesn't have to um, she comes back once he like turns himself in to be like, I'm sorry, I didn't say anything. Yeah. So I think it's kind of her, she was an example that was able to change, like change his worldview, even if he didn't ever say anything about it. You know what I'm saying? That's interesting True. because like on surface, I thought that she changed more than him because she grew more sympathetic towards him. But mm -hmm. now I'm wondering in what ways did he possibly change? But I'm not sure if I'm like entirely convinced. Uh, because like he still thought that like when she comes back he's like oh I knew you were gonna come back like yeah I yeah I guess I don't know if I'm like, entirely convinced that her coming yeah if that like changed him in any way that's true I know it was kind of weird when he said like he was like oh I knew like I did that because I knew you would come back yeah that was um Another thing I would point to was like when he started talking about the dream that he had and he was like, this is the first happy dream I've had in many years. Oh. Adam, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's Honestly, like, <laughs> what did you say, Elton? Like I said, some of this movie was just so like French and it's just like aesthetic in terms of like their names, like August, Valentin, yeah. like stuff like that. I thought, um, <laughs> Like some of the acting of Valentine was like very like French melodramatic at times. Mm -hmm. I thought it was funny. It was funny. I didn't know it was a French movie going in, so I was like, wait. And then <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoyed it. I like French movies. I like the aesthetic. Yeah. Now but um also just going back to what you were saying, Clutchy, because I agree with what you were saying about the judge changing and becoming more optimistic like now that in the way that you articulated it i think that's true like especially in the sense of his view on like human nature and like kind of valentine like challenging that worldview like especially mm -hmm. him being just like a kind of you know miserable old man who's like kind of presented as someone who's just like stuck in his ways like literally the first interaction that he has with valentine is she's like why don't you stop breathing and he's like oh good idea like, <laughs> he's just literally just like 
fuck everything. And then like basically she um I think she definitely changes him in that way. And it like I don't this is like I don't know if this is just like a little cliche or like it, at the very least like a very kind of like French romance kind of aspect of it, but the fact that like he thought he would never like love someone again and then I think you could argue that he did love like fall in love with Valentine. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, kind of like simultaneously with August, um, almost in a way. So yeah, that's an interesting interpretation. Yeah, I think like kind of relating it back to like the idea of fraternity, how like it was a very much so, like it wasn't like, I don't know. I feel like it was almost set. It's, I feel like it's very rare that you see like this sort of like love represented in film that isn't like romantic it's like purely just kind of the relationship between the two of them like uh, appreciating isn't the right word but like forming this bond um and like at no time was did i think that this is like taking a romantic turn or anything um but actually no it got kind of. I really thought I was like this whole time. I was waiting for him to try to do something to her. Honestly, I was like, it felt weird. Yeah, but keep going. No, I was just gonna say that. Yeah, like it. Um, I felt like it was more expressive of this um, kind of kinship between two people who mm. um, formed this relationship that was like non-romantic. Um, mm. Yeah. I like I didn't want it to be romantic but there were times when he was talking to her where I was wondering like does this guy like her like he's so much older than her um, <laughs> and I thought that was strange I'm happy it never went that way but maybe that's just like mainstream media that's like, like changed my expectations or whatever but that's all I thought. <laughs> would have been a movie yeah definitely but I guess like I guess it, like love might not always be like synonymous with like uh, you know romance or like exactly. sexual, right? So like maybe there's a distinction to be made there. Yeah, maybe okay. So maybe rather like instead of like non-romantic, non-sexual, uh, there was this fraternal romance. Fraternal romance. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice. I think the oh another thing I I was wondering do you guys feel like they fell in love kind of fast or that their their relationship seemed like it I was trying to track when the when the change in their relationship actually took like took place you know they had that that one night where I think after she came back they started talking a little bit about their family he you know opened up a little bit but I feel like I can't I'm still having trouble trying to really track like when is it that she went from being like I I'm like disgusted by you. I pity you, you're a fucking bastard. To all of a sudden she's telling him about just like her life and whether or not she's gonna go to England and all these other things. Yeah, that, it's kind of hard to put your finger on where that happened because it just feels like it happened, yeah, so seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, like the only part, and like remind me what was happening at this part, but the scene where they were like drinking the peach brandy do you oh, yeah. remember like what, what were they talking about in that conversation? I don't know if y'all remember. 
I remember the last part. That's when he started talking about the sailor, and he was like, "It's actually my birthday." Wait, no, I'm missing. I'm mixing those parts up. I'm, I'm honestly not hundred percent sure. Yeah, I don't specifically remember either, but, um, I guess the question I'm trying to figure out is like, why did she keep going back after? <laughs> like, why did she even go back the first time? Um after like she discovered he was like eavesdropping and stuff what do y'all think so after she found she brought back the money and that was when she found out he was eavesdropping right Mm -hmm. so she had like no reason to come back (laughs) she just came back that's interesting um wait no then the next time she came back wasn't it because of the because he turned himself in no, I thought there was a time between that. Oh, between that? So she comes back the I first time. Wrong. I might be wrong, though. She comes the, right. the first time is when she tries to give the dog back. And then the dog ran away. Didn't, I thought that's why she came back. Yeah, yeah okay. And then that was, that was the time when she tried to give back. Then she tried to give back the money, or is that a separate time? Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, that's a When? Point. So at which, which visit is... Oh, this is obviously after she finds out he's eavesdropping. But mm-hmm. when she sees, and this is also something I wanted to ask you guys about, because I wasn't sure what this meant. Um, but when he's eavesdropping on his neighbor, who um, like controls like half of the heroin in Geneva or whatever. Um, like, yeah, so A, when does that happen? And B, what is like, the significance or the importance of like her brother um, being like a heroin addict. Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure the the thing with the heroin addict happens the, the first time that she notices like the eavesdropping, like after she comes in the house. Mm-hmm. I not totally sure what the significance of her brother being a heroin addict is other than the fact I think it's like one of the reasons why she wants to stay in Geneva like she's worried about her brother and it's one of the things that's keeping her from going to England and like making the final decision of like hanging out of being with that guy that she's like in love with that's obviously wrong for he's her. an asshole he's such an asshole <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny that's why from the beginning, I was like, she's not going to end up with this dude. This dude is yeah. really terrible. They're really setting him up to be just awful. Yeah. You never even see him. That's how you know. Not you know? <laughs> not to keep the dog. What'd you say, Elton? I said he told her not to keep the dog. He was like, you can't have a dog. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> she's like... I'm sorry, I was joking. He's like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I heard you laugh. <laughs> that was messed up. But yeah, I think, I just think he was just something, he was a reason for her to like not be self-actualized. Cause I think that's also part of her journey. Like she kind of had to become her own person. You know, like that's the kind of advice he was giving her. He's like, you just have to be, just be. <laughs> um, but I think it's good advice. Um, because she's, <laughs> she's like, she's this kind of, per- like, I oh, I feel like I should ask you guys what you think of her as a character and, like, what kind of person she is. Because she's this person who's in the limelight. A lot of people are watching her, but she seems 
self-conscious um depressed maybe like she's almost falling when she's like on the runway she's struggling through her dance classes um so it seems like she she needed something she needed this <laughs> yeah i think she i think maybe she kept on coming back now that you bring it up she kept on coming back to the judge because she seemed quite isolated like in her life yeah. like she never like you never see her like talking to someone in her dance classes if i recall correctly like the um when they're like picking the photos of her she doesn't really have much to say and like which mm -hmm. photo is chosen and then the one they choose she looks really sad um <laughs> and like she has a shitty boyfriend um mm -hmm. and like there's this man who just pops up in her life who is like I don't know she's like actually forming some sort of like bond with um mm -hmm. and like even if she at the beginning kind of is like put off by his behavior mm -hmm. or like his comportment she still is like interested or interested in or intrigued by him so that mm -hmm. I think like might um shed light on why she like kept on coming back mm -hmm. yeah she also did have um like in the scenes you were mentioning where they're picking the photos with the photographer there was that scene where he like tried to slide on her yeah exactly just showing that he just wants something from her yeah yeah definitely another um part that like i really wanted to ask about um that like I just didn't really understand was like so when she walks into the cafe and like this happens a couple times she like walks in and pulls the thing like yeah. like in a casino I don't know what they're called um like the, the slot machine yeah the slot machine yeah and um and then it like for some reason the bartender implies that it's like bad luck to win mm -hmm. like the first time she loses and he's like oh you lost right like thumbs up and when she wins it's like a bad thing I, at least from what i caught i don't know i kind of um personally thought that was um relatable because she got all of these coins and like what are you gonna do with all these coins um, <laughs> that's prob that probably has nothing to do with <laughs> but i would be so pissed if i got like all these quarters and like yeah i had to put them in my bag or something or in my case my pocket um but yeah i, I can't answer your question Elton. no that's a good answer <laughs> I had no idea what that was about too. Like it was just weird, honestly. But what I can say is I really enjoyed when um August had like the little car chase and the slot machine had all the little cherries in a row, like as he scrumped by. That was so cool. Yeah. I don't know if that was detail. Yeah, the the cinematography in general was just like really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, why did you oh when was the first time you saw this movie? Uh, this was the first time i actually oh. just heard about it so like um because like i was talking to chris about like um picking a movie like for us to talk about and i was literally just scrolling through letterboxd and like mm -hmm. looked at like a couple ones that looked interesting i had never even heard of red but then like y'all both like it caught y'all's interest as well so or, or, yeah 
Had you heard about it before? Or? No, no, I've never heard about it, but I thought I was assuming that you like knew this movie, you liked this movie a lot, and like there was a reason that you picked it. But that's cool that you just saw it too. Yeah, yeah, no, like there were a couple other ones that I was would have been interested in watching, like Solaris was one, the Tarkovsky, mm-hmm. um, Grave of the Fireflies is like a Studio Ghibli movie. I haven't seen, but like I've seen most of their shit, and I really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't it the one about the guy who takes the vow of silence? That we're talking about um i think we're taking about andre is by andre do you know what i'm talking about oh the um uh about the artist right mm-hmm. yeah rubelev something yeah yeah, yeah 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 that looks interesting his movies uh, yeah it would be interesting to talk about tarkovsky on one with it like, the only one i film of his that i've seen is stalker but like it was really dope i <laughs> good way that like all right we're getting distracted this is a different (laughs) (laughs) i've never watched any tarkovsky movies but i had this um media like film professor and he used to talk about to me about stalker um this movie about a horse i can't remember that he said it was like very very long he just had a lot of admiration for tarkovsky so it seems like you have good taste seems like other people like him too (laughs) (laughs) Docker is so insane because, like, I don't know, like, he creates, like, he, there, the film is, like, most of the film is them just, like, walking around in a big grass mm-hmm. field. But, like, the way that he, like, creates a world, like, out of nothing. Like, mm-hmm. I, one thing that I like about films is when they, like, when they're, like, innovative in the way that, like, anyone could have made it if they thought about the idea. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Like anyone could have shot that film if they had just thought of the idea because you didn't need anything for the set really except for like a green track and like some grass and like there were other scenes like in a few scenes and buildings and stuff, but in general, like it was all just ideas. So like that stuff, like I think I'm trying to think what's another example of a movie like that. Um I think a comparable thing is when a TV show does like a bottle episode where it's just like a bunch of people in one room, literally just having a conversation, but the it works because there are ideas behind it or like a specific conflict behind it. Um, mm-hmm. It's at my, yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or like even plays, I guess, kind of like that. Another one is um, my dinner with Andre. I feel like, I don't know if y'all, <laughs> <laughs> but literally just yeah, having a conversation. <laughs> That's true. Um, but yeah. Oh, I, I know we, we kind of skipped over your question about human nature. Um, so I don't know, Chris, do you want to answer it or? Like, I actually don't know if I'm like certain on this, but I like am, I guess I'm hesitant to believe that like there are like these inherent like negative contributes or aspects of like human nature or that mm-hmm. like human nature is inherently destructive or whatever um that was the question right like mm-hmm. yeah um i think that to an extent like people will do what is best for them or take actions that are best for them but i don't i think oftentimes what's best for them is also best for the community um mm-hmm. or for like the 
yeah, what's best for them is the best for the other and the best for the group as a whole. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't like to think that um, humans are like fundamentally bad mm-hmm. uh, because then, yeah. I just don't like thinking that. <laughs> but or, yeah, yeah. What what do you guys think? <laughs> um, can I ask you a question about what you just said? So are you saying that they like humans are not necessarily bad or good, it's just that they're self-interested and sometimes those self-interests align with the self-interest of other people? yeah yeah i've like yeah i like don't think that like there's like this inherent evil to human and that they're to man and that there are like all these um different like i don't think like civilization is like man's ability to like kind of restrain from partaking in that evil or like acting acting in like those bad interests like like Hobbes like would say oh okay so okay yeah so but would you then would you say on the opposite side like do you think humans are inherently good or do you think there's an inherent like positive aspect to human nature no I like well I like I personally think like very few good very few things are like objectively good and objectively bad um, okay. and you can, you can say certain things, like certain things that we would generally consider bad, I think can be good sometimes yeah. too. Um, so like, I just don't think that, yeah, I just don't think that, like, that's a good mode of classification. Yeah. I think that's kind of where I fall with things too. Like, I, I think maybe a couple episodes ago I talked about like existence preceding essence um, Mm -hmm. and like not really believing in like just the idea of a human nature or like feeling like that's not necessarily like the right way to talk about like what humans do or what humans have like what humans like yeah just like that humans aren't anything in particular Um, so yeah I don't really feel like humans are necessarily bad or good Um, I feel like what human beings do have like across the board is possibility um yeah i feel like that's a good way of framing it like i'm happy that you like answered that way because like i guess my question wasn't really that fair to ask like is human nature good without saying like what's good and what's bad because mm-hmm. part of what we were talking about before is that like if you look at things deterministically then it makes it hard to like make moral judgments at all exactly so, yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah I think it's also interesting when you think about things deterministically um, because, well, actually, the only reason I bring I bring this up is because um, I've been rereading Slaughterhouse-Five, um, and there's also a lot of, like, determinism in, in that book, too, because, you know, he's, he's moving, or, like, for anyone who hasn't read the book, it's about, um, it's about, a, it's a war book, pretty much, about this guy named Billy Pilgrim, who's, basically like a young adult who um, becomes a, pris- a prisoner of war during World War II. But while he's a prisoner of war, he becomes unstuck in time. So basically 
he's able, he moves from like different parts of his life, like from his childhood through, through like his wedding to his death to like the part where he gets like abducted by aliens, like basically the same way people move in time. And he's, has no, he's not able to control it at all. So he kind of just flashes throughout all these different parts of his life. Um, and at one part of his life, he meets these aliens who are able to see in four dimensions. Um, so the same way, like you might see a space in front of you, they can see like time, they can see like people from beginning to end or like all things that have happened or will already happen. And so because they can see like that, they're basically of the opinion that like time is just what it is. There's no like why, there's no real causes. It's just like, it is what it is and everything is the way it pretty much has to be. Um, and that's something I've been thinking about a lot recently um, because let me know if this tangent gets too long, but because I was reading some uh, David Hume philosophy and one of the biggest thing that he talked about or one of the biggest thing that he kind of brought to people's idea is this skepticism about causality. Um, and basically he's like, yeah, most people like when you see like, let's say like a billiard ball hit another ball, like you hit a, see a ball hit another ball and the ball moves you assume that like ball one caused ball two to move. Um, but there's not a lot of real grounds for us to say that ball one caused ball two to move because we there's nothing that we really observe like fundamentally that we can, where we can say like, this is the cause of that. And that can extend to a lot of like in more complicated situations, like when it comes to saying like, this is the reason why something else, I think there's a lot of skepticism in our ability to just draw those conclusions as to like why something causes why and what necessarily fo follows from something happening. Um, and then when you start to try to apply that to your own life, like why are you the way that you are now? Why did you do something? Why, what might you become? Um, it starts to get more tricky because then you start to think of like, well, who am I? Why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Are there real causes behind? Am I like subject to other things? Uh, I think all that's like very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the tangent. <laughs> it's honestly funny you bring that up because I just read that same thing about Hume in one of my classes that I've taken. Oh, sick. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. Like, I don't know um, if like his view appealed to me that much at first, just because like, I guess you could classify him as like an empiricist, right? Where he's basically saying like, we can only really like know what we observe. And like sometimes that's super appealing to me because I'm just like, well, I mean, like, obviously we are only our consciousness and like our only like bridge to anything is just our senses. Mm -hmm. um, so like it makes sense to, and sometimes that like convinces me that like basically like the, the only thing that exists could just be like myself, like in some ways, but but like in general i feel like i don't think it's best to like look at things in that way like i guess rationalism would be like the opposite view which would be that like we can like understand things that we can't perceive mm -hmm. and like i feel like i lean more towards that but it's it is hard to like it's hard to like prove why that's true so maybe it's more of an intuition where i'm like obviously i'm gonna believe things that like even if i can't directly observe them so like Hume's like causes for example like he might be right like maybe I can't actually observe causality like yeah. I can see two things happen but I can't like prove that like it's a cause and an effect mm -hmm. but like it just makes more sense to like accept that in a way yeah but but it's definitely like 
worth thinking about the like the limits of like our actual like ability to like perceive or know things you know but it's just like it just opens up so many questions where like it's yeah it just like is an endless questioning of like who you are and like what you can know yeah i think at some point you're definitely right at some point you have to stop and just be like well like like i i also have to buy groceries like maybe i shouldn't just be questioning whether or not like who's controlling me and what actions like are actually going on um yeah that's a good point but do you would you say that like um how much would you say that like empiricism appeals to you or that like you think it's true that for example like things don't exist um or not that not even that things don't exist but just that like we should only rely on knowledge that we observe i i don't think that we should only rely on knowledge that we observe i'm like i think i'm kind of in i think we can only be sure of the things that you observe but i also i'm one of those people who feel like what you observe is is at least to some extent determined by like your own mindset and like your own what you are looking for. Um, so like, to me, I think like my own personal belief is that I feel like you should take what's like, what's useful um, overall actually. Like, so not just what you can observe, but like what beliefs like in the long term are useful for you, um, especially in specific situations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, I think about that too. Um, wait, there's another point that I was gonna make though. Um, oh yeah. Okay. So the first point you made about um like why should we re only rely on things we observe because like our observations are so flawed right anyway like the fact that we like like i don't know like when i don't have a liquid here but like if like you put like this behind the glass it like looks bent like it's not actually bent but so clearly there's a flaw in sometimes in the way we perceive things but i definitely agree with what you were saying about just taking what like is best like in a certain situation like even though i'm not always an empiricist the way that i like to apply it is like i don't know just in terms of like perspective and worldview like sometimes i'll think like okay well if everything's just in my head then i can almost like control my own reality just through my thoughts right yeah. it's like a power almost and i think it's actually true in a lot of ways like the the like impact that just your thoughts and your mindset can have on like your reality if that makes sense mm -hmm. dude like, i think about that all the time that's, right. yeah i know exactly what you're talking about and like i i really do feel that way i'm like oh like you know a lot of what my life is is constructed by my own mind like i have control over it but then i wonder like how how far is it actually possible to take it and that's like what holds me back because like why 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 is it that i can't like fly or why is it that like why are there still limits in my life if it's really just like if it really is all constructed by my own mind right so if that's the case like are there two parts of me that and one that the part of me that constructs my reality like i can't totally control or i don't have conscious control of or is there like that's kind of the only block i could really think of yeah um, yeah i mean like speaking to your question of like how far can you take it mm -hmm. i feel like I don't know if this applies perfectly, but like one example that comes to mind is um, like stories that I've heard of people who were like chronically ill, like on their deathbeds. And like one example was like one of my mom's cousins or something um, like living in Maryland, like uh, his son, I think, was in Albania or like somewhere around there, like Italy or something. And 
flew back to see his dad before he died. Um, but he, it took him like some time to get the visa or something. And so um, like his dad was like about to die, but like made it until the sun came to like say like his, like, you know, say goodbye. And then literally as soon as the sun got on the plane to leave, like the dad passed away. And I feel like in a certain, on a certain sense, like you can almost hold on, like yeah. you can literally control, like it just in terms of like your thought or like your will, like your internal will, like affecting like the other biological aspects of your body almost. I feel like there is a certain extent, I don't know how far you can take it, but that's feels like a pretty extreme example that I think is actually true where you can literally control it just with your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I've been thinking about all year. Um, because my my grandmother died the day after my brother's birthday, and she like uh, held out. And like I definitely think that. Um, and this was at the beginning of the year. This was in January, um, but like that's definitely. I don't know. That has definitely I think shifted how I've thought about like how. Um, I don't know, like, what control, I mean, I guess, like, at the end of the day, it kind of comes down to control, I think, like, understanding, like, what you, um, what you can and cannot make possible for yourself, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, through, like, kind of how you perceive yourself and, like, your place in the world or, like, whatever is going on, Um, and, yeah, I think that, I don't know, like, I don't really know if that necessarily kind of aligns with, um, like, this idea of, like, determinism that you've been talking about, but I think that, in a way, it kind of gives, like, agency back to, like, the individual and, like, their ability, or, like, in your ability to, um, like... I guess like control your reality or like yeah yeah it's kind of funny because like it almost like makes me think of the title of the podcast that um like like, what the inspiration was for the title but like it almost like implies like you know manipulate manipulating like your internal reality or something that's yes that's exactly what I was trying to say Bro, this, I mean, yeah, it's very, very cool. It does give a lot of agency back. Um, and I, I think one of the things I think of in particular when you bring up these examples of people manipulating their eternal reality is like Buddhism. Um, like people, <laughs> um, just like the fact like the, the entire thesis of Buddhism is like the only reason people suffer is because of their particular mind state that they have. And if you want to stop suffering, you just need to change your mindset. And the way you can change your mindset is through meditation. Like that's like, that is, that's like the, that's Buddhism, like 101, actually Buddhism, like also 999, it's the same shit all the way up. Um, So I think that's really, it is really interesting to think about it in in those terms. I do uh, wonder though, like, just like to put a little more of a comical spin on it, like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that video of the the little black boy trying to become Super Saiyan. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? He gives the whole spiel. He's like, anything you can put your mind to, you can become. 
And yeah, so sometimes I hope we don't end up looking like that, trying to like change our internal realities, but I definitely believe. I think like for me personally, that is such like a conflicting idea. I mean, cause it like, I mean, like I hear something like that, like you have like this much control and shit like that. And it's like, oh, like rise and grind. Like you're the reason like why like shit is going wrong in your life. But then like, um, I guess like the socialist in me is like saying like, well, there are all these other like conditions that like whether or not like you are whether or not like whatever is going on in like your head like whatever you're like conceiving mentally there is like a reality that you don't have control over that is um putting that is like creating these impediments for you um so i don't know like where to reconcile that because i think you and to an extent i agree with you um Mm -hmm. you raise like a really kind of compelling um viewpoint and like you said like it's the thesis of buddhism Mm -hmm. but like excuse me does that conflict with kind of these like material realities i guess you could say yeah Um, that's a really no oh you you go i'm talking a little That's really similar for me, Chris, because like, um, especially just like when you mentioned socialism, because like, it's honestly really true in particular about like Marx and like Hegel, um, mm-hmm. who like Marx was based on in a lot of ways, like, um, ba- like their whole philosophy of history is very like, I guess what you could call like teleological or like is in a way like deterministic. Like they, mm-hmm. Marx think that like, you know, socialism would happen and communism would happen, but he said, like, it necessarily will happen as a result of, like, the necessary progression of history and, like, the way that, like, that's the way that they explain, like, everything, basically. But it really does conflict with, like, I will, I don't know if it's incompatible, but, like, definitely with what you're, what Kletcher was saying about, like, Buddhism. And I can't believe I didn't think of this example before because it's way more extreme. It's, like, the Buddhist monk in Vietnam who lit himself on fire in protest. Yeah. Like, how is that possible to not budge, to not even react it when your body's on fire? But like, I guess that's the power of like mental control. I mean, I don't even know how to explain that to yeah. be able to let yourself on fire and not react at all. I don't even know how to explain that. That's so crazy. But yeah, I guess it, I would also want to think more about if I think like those two are incompatible. Um, or if like you can't like incorporate one in certain aspects and the other in different aspects. I like, I don't think they're incompatible. Um, I just don't have like the um, knowledge, I guess you could say, um, to explain how they're incompatible. Um, because I don't know, I wouldn't say like I know like enough about either. Um, but I would like kind of suggest, yeah, I would suggest or guess, I guess, that there are like two different planes and that Buddhism is on this one plane in terms of kind of like the mental capacities and like how you perceive the world. Mm -hmm. And then 
um, I guess like Marxism and like more like concrete political philosophy um, is on this like plane of like kind of the world around you, like the world outside of you that you necessarily don't have much control over. You only have control over how you perceive it. Yeah. I think that's like a hundred percent what is like the difference. Like, I don't think Buddhism would say that you have like control over like how your day is going to go. You do just have control over how you perceive it. And like, it's, and like, ultimately that's the only thing that matters. Like you could be like starving, but still having a good time. If you, <laughs> you know, like that's like kind of the idea um, that like pain, pain, pain is like, has to happen. Pain's a requirement of life, but suffering isn't. So I think that's like the big thing. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like I agree, but I think like a real extreme determinist would just say like, oh, well, the Buddhist is only having a good time because they were born rather than something else. So I feel like the determinist will always just reduce it to that. So like what's going on? I don't know. I think it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. Do you ever like wait, like, just, you're just like sitting and you're like, wow, I cannot believe I'm me. You know what I mean? Yes, like, like <laughs> I do that a lot. And what you said, Elton, just reminded me of it because like, I mean, what the determinist is really getting at is like, I'm here, you're over there. And we're both like in our situations and we cannot leave our situations. And I don't really know what to do about that or say about that, but it's like, well, I guess the question is like, is that freeing or is that like, is that like caged? Are you caged in your situation? Um, or like, are there still, are there still options for people? You know, like, do, like, can you escape who you are? Do you always end up becoming who you are? You well, know? you don't know who you'll become. So yeah. mystery is, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's the fun part. <laughs> I guess that is the you fun think part. that like you're destined to complete or I guess like achieve or even like run through the course of like one outcome you don't know what that outcome is that's true yeah that's the good part at least like I think it would suck if you knew what you had to do and then did it um or like <laughs> <laughs> like this is another Kurt Vonnegut book called um 2001 time quake uh I, this is like another book I really like because it's like kind of a but it's like I think it's one of the later books he wrote and it's also like half biography um and in this book um there's like a time quake in 2001 that sends everybody 10 years back and then in the course of the next 10 years they have to repeat everything that they did in the preceding 10 oh years my God. exactly as <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you go 10 years back you do everything the same way and you this time you know you're gonna do it and you have to do it oh. so people are like going into car crashes, knowing they're gonna happen, cheating on exes, knowing they're gonna be found out. It's a crazy book and it's a great book. Um, what about, so, so if you say like you died in like 1998, uh, you're back alive knowing that you died. Yeah, yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good book. It's yeah, I've never heard of that book. I'm happy you brought that up. Because I was going to um, bring up Slaughter, uh, yeah, Slaughterhouse-Five again, because, like, it's, but that's a different and another interesting way of thinking about it. But, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I do like Kurt Vonnegut, though. Have you read, like, any of his other stuff? 
I've read I read Cat's Cradle over the summer. Um, and I think those three books are the only three books I've read by him. I read like one short story by him also. Um, I look forward to reading more of his books. I just love him as a writer. Um, and I love him also. There's this one particular YouTube video I like by him where he's giving like a lecture um, and he's talking about the arcs of stories. Um, oh, okay. That's the thing I want. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that is great. And it actually kind of con connects to what we're talking about because. Um, you know, he, he goes through a bunch of different stories, like Chris, just to like give you and like let you know what happens. He's like, he's like, well, in some stories, good stuff happens in the beginning, then stuff gets bad. In some stories, good stuff happens and then bad stuff. But in Hamlet, stuff happens and we never know if it's good or bad. Like that's the whole point of the book. Like you cannot decide whether it's good or bad. Yeah. And so the whole point of the book is you don't know enough to know what the good news is. And I feel like in some senses, like it, determinism kind of brings up a similar problem because you don't really know what you're headed for. And so you don't really know what is good or bad or what's what's good for you, what's happening to you. I like that a lot. Yeah. So do y'all think then that like, because we won't, we were, I feel like we were only really talking about determinism in the context of like explaining things mm -hmm. in the context of like, I guess what you would call like destiny or like something like that. Mm -hmm. um, do y'all look at the world in that way of like thinking that there are like certain things that like are destined I guess, but I mean, like, I can only think of things in that way after it happened. Um, I think, like, I don't know why, I feel like this has come up quite frequently in, like, the past few weeks, but, like, the, like, would you kill baby Hitler situation? Oh. And I'm very much so of the mindset that it would not make a difference if you killed him or not because if you killed him, someone else would have just come up and like done what he did mm -hmm. um, given like all of given like all of the other circumstances mm -hmm. in Germany at the time. Um, so yeah, in that way, maybe I do think things are destined. That's like a that's so Raven episode, bro. Earlier. Um, what was I gonna say? I totally forgot. Um, that is an interesting point, though, Chris. Which aligns with like, if like someone concedes that like we're all products of our environment, then I feel like you kind of have to concede that as well. That like he was a product of his environment and someone else born like simultaneously could have easily been formed in the same way too. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in that for okay. sure. But you don't think that Hitler, I, I hesitate to say the sentence, but you don't think that Hitler had unique abilities that enabled him to take advantage of the environment? You know, like obviously the environment had like- I'm, I'm sure there were other good public speakers who also like had a deep, deep hate for like non-Aryans. Is that all it takes? You think just like, it was just like anybody could have done it? Yeah, I think that like the, the situation was, was lending itself to what ended up happening. Speaking of um, like World War and whatnot, I also wanted to bring up, um, not really that related, but like I just finished reading Mouse. Um, mm -hmm. 
and like that book is just so like just like moving and like it also made me like really appreciate the format of like uh graphic novels or like cartoons like as a very like oh yeah just like effective way of telling a story and it almost made me want to like try like drawing and like telling a story in that way because like I hadn't read a graphic novel in so long and it like well I guess I had re read this other one Uzumaki which is like more of like a manga though but that shit is crazy <laughs> and, but but Mouse was like and Mouse was cool too because it was also just so like I guess you could just say like meta but just like self-aware almost but I also like there were a lot of aspects that that made it really interesting totally forgot I read Mouse. We read that in high school. That It was so serious. Um, like, I, I remember coming into class, you know, like my English class thinking like, okay, we're going to read this book about World War II. And I didn't realize both one, they're all mice. And two, that, <laughs> um, and two like that it would, it would be in drawing form. But honestly, the, the medium didn't take away from the seriousness of the, the subject matter at all. It actually, I don't know what it, what do you think what do you think, why do you think the per, the author didn't just write the story? Do you think there's, like, do you think there's something that the drawings did for you in particular, Elton? Yeah, I mean, well, I have a feeling like there's, like, two questions. Like, one is, um, Art Spiegelman, like, probably just, like, was a cartoonist or, like, felt like that was the way that was most effective for him um you write it but like the other question is like why that made like made it more effective than it could have been as like a written story and i feel like i don't really know honestly like i mean i i guess like um well for one it like allows the analogy like you were saying to the animals in a way that i feel like Actually, you could do that in written too. It's like Animal Farm. So like I don't maybe think it would have been as effective though, like yeah. um, as like mice, um, if it were like written like Animal Farm. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of like creative things that he does with the like the visual aspect in terms of like combining frames or like overlapping frames. And stuff like that, um, which is cool, but I get—I don't know if that's the reason why um, it was really so like effective. Maybe it's maybe like there isn't necessarily something about it being a graphic novel. Like maybe it could have been like effective as a written book, but like the way he did it, like was just the way he did. I mean, another one that I also found really like uh, powerful was Persepolis, um, which is like almost a similar style. I don't know if y'all have heard of Persepolis. It's about no. like the revolution. Oh, there's a movie too, but it's based on a graphic novel mm -hmm. um, and has like a really unique drawing style, but it's about like a girl growing up in Iran. Um, and then she like moves to France because of the revolution. But yeah, I don't know. I'm still, I, I, I don't really have an answer is what I'm saying. I'm still thinking about it. That's totally fine. That's really cool, though. I'm, I've, I've only read a few graphic novels, but I'll, I've always wondered why they're not more of a thing. I think, like, 
I really enjoy comics. Like I love like on Instagram, like I think most of the accounts I follow are just like comics because I like what words and pictures can do together. Um, so it's always interesting to me because I feel like there are, there are writers or people who are like, I don't know if language can really convey the things I want to convey. And so it's interesting to go to a medium where you don't have to, or things aren't so slippery. Like when you kind of look at a picture for the most part, unless you're looking at like a, some kind of illusion, like things are as they are. Whereas with language, there's a lot of interpretation going on. Um, so to put the two together, I think is interesting, but I can't say I have like a, like a fully synthesized view on like what it means to put the two together. That's how I feel about memes. <laughs> That's true though. That's actually very true. Memes are a great, a great format when done well. Mm-hmm. What um format of like I guess expression do y'all feel like is most like you have like the strongest connection to in terms of like film, like the written word, like prose, poetry, uh drawing or like uh yeah, any other forms. Thank y'all discussed it partially well I guess in the first episode you were talking more just about like film in general yeah we're talking about creativity in general too like I wait I'll show you guys this picture I drew I drew a picture of Chris um but anyway I don't know it's a very hard question because I feel like I kind of like I started out writing writing and drawing so and I've been doing both like I've been doing both for most of my life um so it's really hard for me to say which one I feel more connected to. Mm, I'm not sure. Chris, what do you think? I think for me, it's film. Um, there's this like, when I watch a film that like really kind of affects me or like impacts me, um, there's like this, um like I definitely like feel like certain things that are like I can't like describe in words and I think Mm -hmm. like the only other medium that makes me feel that way is if um like I see like like a work of visual art that like also just kind of really um just kind of impacts me I guess um and yeah, so I guess I like from that, I just think I'm like a very visual person um, mm. and seeing things um, in front of me, seeing things used or seeing like images used in creative and effective ways um, is like kind of most ideal, I guess, for me. Um, that being said, I think like what's so cool about movies too is that it combines images and words. And I guess like the complexity of it all, like how, like kind of what similar to what Elton was talking about. Um, but I guess like it kind of applies to the movie we watched for this episode, like how like kind of any old story can be turned into something like really, really beautiful mm-hmm. um, and like full of like nuance and like have so much to say and so much for you to kind of like investigate 
um, in a way that like you can get that from a book, you can get that from like reading a play, you can get that from like reading a poem, but then like on top of that, being able to see it and like to have it like so like well done, like combining all of these different skills, like in terms of like writing and like directing and like knowing like what is like the right way to like frame a character like what's like the right way like how long should a shot be like all these different things um like the complexities of film i think like really really interests me um and i think that like because i've been like writing applications for things i've been doing a lot of reflection on this <laughs> um like in high school and middle school and even like to understand elementary school i really liked photography um and like I kind of like lost touch with that like passion. Like I still enjoy like observing it, but I don't like take photos as much as I did when I was younger. But like what really, what I really appreciated about it and enjoyed about it was like the way that you could have something in front of you and like a million different ways to choose how to capture it. Um, and I feel like film does that in like multiple different uh from like multiple different like vectors or like points of contact maybe i guess but yeah what about you elton yeah i think i think it's film for me too um like i don't really know why i feel like you articulated that so i don't know if i have it um I have my explanation ready but like I do think it's film for me right now I feel like the one that like I wish I had a stronger connection with that like I never really developed is like just drawing like or just visual or like freehand drawing or like painting which I've like done some of but I don't feel like I really I don't know developed that much of a like relationship with and like developed to the point where I was like really happy with like like the whatever I was producing basically um but like I would like to do that more but I really do feel like for me it's film both in terms of like experiencing it and in terms of what I like most want to like produce I mean I feel like the, what I have like done the most of it is probably photography just like over the course of a really long time but um I really want to do film and that like I just look behind me and let me just show you all this real quick. Uh, I feel like y'all think this is interesting. Um, since we're talking about film. This is like this, um, the oh. super camera that I got in Cuba. I guess people listening won't be able to see this since it's just audio. <laughs> you can describe it. It's okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like, um, it's like this old, um, like, it's actually a Soviet camera. So, like, it's from the Soviet Union and it has, like, this Rus these Russian letters on it. Oh. I brought it to Cuba and then I saw it in Cuba and bought it. And um, it almost makes you, like, I don't know, like, just like Tarkovsky. <laughs> like, this is some shit that he would, like, have filmed Stalker on, I feel like. But, um... But it's just a cool object and I want to film something on it, but I don't have the right film. But yeah, like, I guess in general, I feel like I really like 
want to produce films and i feel like at some point not even as my primary objection of like objective but like i definitely have to at some point is how i feel have you made any short films uh i've made some like videos of uh, my bad. um like i've done some kind of like short films of like just my like just like experiences like with like some of my friends or just like um just like kind of trying to document like a certain like period in my life kind of but nothing like really that plot based um i feel like i've written like scripts and stuff but like i've never like filmed them because i feel like i'm too self-critical sometimes but (laughs) Which I feel like y'all were talking when I was listening to the episode one. I was like, I have a lot to say about that, but <laughs> I really relate to that. But um, I don't know. Yeah, and I've done. I guess I've like kind of like done some like music video related stuff, but more in collaboration with other people as well. Um, but like, what I really want to do is either like. A fi- like an actual film with a plot or also like documentaries like some documentaries have been really Im- like impactful to me one is um this documentary called the act of killing i don't know if y'all have heard of this it's basically a documentary about um and this kind of relates to the morality that we were talking about it's about the this genocide in like indonesia in the 1960s where they basically it was like a genocide of like people accused of being communists i don't know if that's oversimplifying it i think it's more nuanced than that but um like it generally speaking and so this filmmaker goes and interviews um the people who like kind of carried out this genocide and they're at the beginning they're like proud of it and they like openly describe like all the shit they did like torturing people killing people Um, literally they like, because the genius of the filmmaker is that he tells them like, we're making this documentary to like celebrate you and to like document what you're doing. And they believe it. Like they think that he like supports them. And so they, they literally brag about everything they did. And then by the end of the documentary, like through him, like making them relive it, they like, I guess like to some at some level realize how fucked up it was and they literally like fall apart and like there's some very like yeah interesting scenes of them like just breaking down like realizing like what they had done and like yeah it's it's a really interesting way of like you using film to like just like i don't know just saying something about like that like relative like the morality and like how like i don't really know like what to what to make of it but yeah you can i don't know what y'all think that sounds so powerful honestly i would love to watch that for sure yeah what it makes me think about is just the the like the objectivity because it seems like he was kind of like a participant in that demarc in in like the making of it you know because he like positioned himself in a particular um, relationship to them um i don't know that's interesting yeah yeah exactly 
Do you, do you think you're ever going to make a film, Chris? I don't think so. I think I'm so, yeah, I think I'm more likely to write a book. Um, I think I like am personally better at um, just kind of like writing about things in that way. Um, from like an, yeah, from like an expositional standpoint than I am from making a film. I'm reading a book right now though, that has really kind of like, um, I guess made me think more seriously about the stuff, just like writing about the world and like coming to conclusions about like different ways the world exists. And I think that like, that's also what film is to me. Um, but like, I think like there are a lot of different ways that you can do that. Um, and you have to do that in a way that like kind of best suits your skills. Um, and I think that that is what would best suit my skills. I would love to read a book by you, Chris. <laughs> Are you just saying that because you're my friend? No, I would actually love to. I feel like I haven't read a lot of your written work yeah. besides that. Like, do you post your stuff somewhere or ever? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> you should, dude. Yeah. I'd love to read. Um, yeah. I would love to make a movie. I, I, would, I would like to read your work. <laughs> Just yeah. saying that. <laughs> I would love to, I would love to, like, produce a movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the the <laughs> process of making it even direct i think directing would be really cool um but to write one i think like you said like you're very like critical of yourself elton i am as well so i don't know if i would be able to like write something and then after writing it make it um mm. i think that would be too much that would give me too much time to overthink mm. Yeah, and I feel like it's not only just like writing it and then like making it because I feel like a like a like a screenwriter kind of almost has to be like not pretentious but just like very like I don't want to say self-important in like a bad way but in the sense of you're like you're basically like writing something and then saying all right all hundred of you like go make this shit happen <laughs> and like all of the vision. <laughs> work that everyone else has to put into it yeah your idea so like it better be good is how i feel yeah, exactly <laughs> like also the amount of time that's also i think what kind of scares me about is like the amount of time that goes into making a movie and then it comes out just like trash <laughs> that destroy me <laughs> <laughs> that's so true and just the the last thing i was thinking about in relation to red just thinking about like movies being like good or bad or like how like that is judged like it's just interesting like one thing that I noticed about Red was how high the reviews were like it's literally a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes and I think it's only one of two movies like ever to have a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic. And other it's ones got like a 4.4 on Letterboxd which is very high. 
yeah it has like really good reviews and then but what that was making me think of is like what how y'all feel about like reviews in general because sometimes I don't even want to look at reviews because I feel like they'll like influence how I'll feel about the movie in a way or like make or like at least subconsciously how I should feel about it and I don't want to because like I feel like people should just make their own judgment but like obviously they're useful to some extent because some of these like you don't like probably aren't worth watching <laughs> and some are more so worth watching but like how do, how much do like reviews go into your like uh kind of just like feelings or like decisions to watch a movie um i think when i was younger i like gave a lot more weight to reviews and definitely influenced how i saw a movie um and then like something shifted where like i realized well first of all i started to like actually like read reviews instead of just kind of seeing like what the rating was of the movie and then i was able to kind of realize that okay this is the opinion that this person has and this is like the opinion that i can form about this movie um and yeah i guess that has kind of and it's also made me more open to watching like kind of anything um even if it has bad reviews i would like still want to watch it um but yeah i think that it's hard to prevent reviews from uh i guess like coloring or um influencing how you yourself perceive a movie especially if it's like A.O. Scott in the New York Times or like someone like who is like like a very like renowned critic who's like making these comments about a movie You're like oh well this person like has the authority on like what you're supposed to think about this movie so this is what I should think about this movie but I think that it's a much more fulfilling like movie viewing experience to like recognize that that's their opinion and this is yours but it's also a very hard thing to do I'll acknowledge. Yeah, I find myself very easily influenced by by movie reviews, so I tend to not really look at them. But I still find like I yeah, I don't really read I don't read movie reviews for the most part, but I think what I do receive is like the general sentiment about a film. Like I feel like you when you look at a film, you can kind of tell like how people are generally are reacting to it, and that definitely influences me as I watch. Um, even if I don't want it to. Yeah. There are also like different ways that you can like, I feel like you can tell like the type of movie it is from like the poster or like the trailer, if you watch the trailer. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. What you, Elton? What's your stance on this? Um, I mean, I definitely watch trailers. Um, probably more than I read reviews. And I feel like sometimes trailers can do a good job of like reflecting a movie, even though sometimes they don't. And sometimes they're like, I feel like more likely to like sell a movie short and like make it look basically like not achieve like a representation of like what, the, how like the movie really is. I feel like a movie will usually like, I mean, a trailer will usually like underestimate a movie rather than overestimate it but maybe that's not always the case um but i feel like part of it also just has to do with like 
I mean, like some movies are just gonna be more like effective than others generally in certain ways, but like also, um, and the probably more relevant point is like how like we feel about a movie is also probably gonna result a lot from like, like, I don't know, maybe the like stage that we're at in life or like yeah. what experiences have been recently or like what we're looking for at the moment for like yeah. the like want to feel or even if we're not like particularly looking to feel that but like something that is like i don't know i guess resonates or doesn't resonate and that can like be very subjective i, I think yeah that's yeah. for sure as well um it's like not necessarily like it's you could say i guess that like it's a you think it's a good movie but more so it's like a movie that you either like or dislike. And that doesn't necessarily say if it's a good movie or not. Um, and sometimes it might align, but sometimes it might not. Yeah. yeah that's-, that's true. <laughs> it's hard to swallow <laughs> that like not every movie you like is a good movie. Like, yeah. But I don't think a lot of people are ready to say that though. <laughs> yeah. I would say, like I think that's so interesting because like I feel like there are like movies that I know are bad that I really mm-hmm. like. Maybe not really like, like the movies that I like. I like I, I'm trying to think of one right now. Um, <laughs> like there are some okay, there are some Adam Sandler movies that but you like. I really like, and I know they're objectively like bad movies, mm-hmm. but I still like them. The only movies I can think of. That I like that I feel like are actually bad or movies that like are not trying to be good you know like for whatever reason I really enjoy Bucky Larson Born to be a Star um and, <laughs> and that's a terrible movie but it's not like it's just like it was always it was never supposed to be like a serious like sit down and ponder type movie and then there are like movies that I think like are supposed to be really good that I don't like I think I do have an example for that. Um, like what's it called? Um, Birdman. I did not like that movie. Birdman? Yeah. I, I liked Birdman, but I'm, yeah, I'm curious to hear. Well, well I can probably see why um, <laughs> one might not like it. I liked the one take aspect of it. I thought that was cool. Yeah. I thought, um, what's it called? Did it better? Um, 1917. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, like, I feel like it made sense for a movie like 1917 because you're following this dude going, like, trying to get home, like, trying to get back to, like, his country, his countryside in a war. Whereas in Birdman, it's just this, like, middle aged dude dealing with an identity crisis. Like, I feel like if there wasn't, if it wasn't like shot in that way, it would have been a significantly less interesting movie. Yeah, and I guess in comparison to like Red, like where both movies have like, just like old men who are just kind of miserable and pathetic, like you don't really have, like they didn't really get that like sympathy in Birdman that like, they achieved I feel like in red yeah it wasn't yeah that's true um I also like maybe wanted to bring up like just out of curiosity um Borat since Borat 
the second Borat's about to come up, and I was wondering, like, what y'all's opinions were on that movie. Yeah. I've never seen the first one. I'm excited so. for the new one. It comes out this Friday, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't Borat's the one movie where, like, before I saw it, I was like, this shit looks so stupid. Like, why is <laughs> around it what is this but after watching it and then after watching Sasha Barry Cohen's like other work like I realized how like honestly kind of just like genius he is in the ways that he like makes people like just flaunt like their worst qualities in like such a like shameless way and it's just like really hilarious but also like revealing about like who people are you know like and he just has such a like effective way of like doing that of like making people show like who they really are i guess is the way i would put it it's really interesting yeah yeah i thought it was just some comedy shit <laughs> <laughs> i mean it is comedy but you know I think in my mind it like occupies a, a similar place to what um how am I blanking on the name? You know that fuck the guy who with Hannibal Buress on his show, that talk show. Eric Andre. Um, Eric Andre, yeah. yeah, yeah that's yeah, his yeah. show. The show is named <laughs> after him. <laughs> but you knew what I was talking about though. <laughs> anyway, I feel like whenever Eric whenever I see Eric Andre doing just literally absurd things, I'm like. I, I that's kind of where Borat is in my mind. Um, is that is that right? Is that on the mark or is it different? An interesting comparison. I definitely see where you're coming from, and like, yeah, I definitely also shared your opinion, like, um, at, like before I saw it, but like, and maybe it doesn't even come across at what I was saying as much in Borat. I feel like it's even more effective, like that um, kind of like strategy that I was talking about in. Uh, What's it? It's called Who is America? Is that what it's called? His, yeah. his, it's called Who is America, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like he does the same thing there, but almost in like a more like targeted and specific way. But mm-hmm. politicians. And that shit, like, really, I feel like it's some crazy shit. Like, I don't even know how to describe it. He literally gets Dick Cheney to autograph a waterboarding kit. Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, what? that's terrible sign my waterboard and Dick Cheney's like oh sure like he he, like the way that he like makes people admit to shit almost like admitting to like their or at the very least like admitting to their like disposition towards like anti-semitism for example or like racism or any other like kind of like divisive things like like there's a lot of really like the example there's so many examples where he basically just makes people admit that like they don't really care like if like they see something like that happening. Wow. That sounds funny. Maybe I should watch Borat, bro. Yeah. <laughs> watch the new one too. Yeah, it's also pretty entertaining. This is a pretty long podcast. Yeah, uh, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> we made it, bro. It's almost it's almost twelve. Yeah. Yeah.
I'll be. Um, I don't know. I feel like we covered a lot of ground. So. <laughs> we did cover a lot, yeah. Um, Elton, it was really great to have you on. It was great to meet you, man. Yeah, nice to meet you too. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, like our like lives have like connected in multiple ways before us meeting, but like, yeah, awesome red type shit. <laughs> awesome fraternity type shit, interconnected. <laughs> I'm just so weak. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, yeah, thanks for having me on. Like, it was a great conversation. And I, like, could have easily kept talking, but, like, I feel like we could just keep talking forever. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, we should definitely do this again. Yeah, that's it. It was a pleasure having you. Yeah, thanks, man. All right, we'll talk soon. All right. Bye. Ça dure toujours, on s'en souvient